Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Germantown Presbyterian Church. Welcome, everyone, to this worship service virtually. We are delighted that you can join us for this hour of worship on this Lord's Day, whether you're worshiping with us here in the Germantown, Collierville, Memphis area, or you're worshiping with us from somewhere further afield than that. We are so grateful that we're all united by the Holy Spirit as we join together in the one cause of worshiping our wonderful God on this Lord's Day. So welcome, one and all, to this worship service. Please do go to the church website where you can download the church bulletin. You can click on uh, the tab that says Sunday Resources and then Bulletins, and you can see the the bulletin there. If you're on our sermons.net page, then you can certainly download a PDF of the bulletin there. And we uh, appreciate everyone's uh, joining together and to worship together and following along in all of the elements of worship and joining us at home with what we do here in the sanctuary. Also on our church website, you'll see the online friendship pad, that whether you're a member or a visitor with us, if you would please sign that pad, and you can uh, go online again to the church website, and it's a very prominent box that says online friendship pad. And you can put your contact information down there, your name, your email, and especially if you're a visitor to GPC, if you're worshiping with us from... Uh, somewhere else outside this area, or if you're part of, uh, of this community and you'd like to know more about GPC, then put down your contact information and we will contact you uh, very soon to be in touch and to tell you more about this family of faith. So please do sign the online friendship pad. We are, of course, uh, virtual today in this worship service, but we will be back with uh, in-person worship next Sunday January the 31st. And so we'll follow the same good, healthy, safe procedures that we had before, where we will invite uh, a maximum of 50 people to pre-register through the church website. And then you can come on Sunday if you've pre-registered and uh, wear a mask. And we'll have our pews designated, uh, roped off every other one, wear a mask, sit six feet apart from one another in family units, And then our ushers will guide people uh, in and out. All will be very safe, sanitized, and we're eager to resume that in-person worship next Sunday, the 31st of January. Also next Sunday is our annual meeting of the congregation, and that will take place on Zoom at noon. And there's a way to go through um, the emails that are sent out to the congregation. You can call our church office. You do have to register for that. And we'll send you the link to Zoom and the passcode for you to join in. Um, Nothing would make us happier than to have an in-person congregational meeting, but we just can't under these circumstances. And so thank you again for all of your patience and for all of your uh, generosity as we try to adapt to these situations. And so that will be at noon. So we'll have church at 930. And then we'll have our Sunday school classes at uh, 1045, 11 o'clock or so. And then our congregational meeting will be at noon on Zoom. And so please do follow the links uh, to register for that. And we look forward to seeing everybody virtually next Sunday. That meeting, of course, will be, uh, as we do every year at the end of January, we'll hear a report from the stewardship team to tell us about uh, how 2020 ended financially for the church. And then they'll also present the church budget that the session approved last Thursday night. That will be presented to the congregation for information Uh, as well at that meeting. And then we'll also hear a report from the nominating committee, and they will come to us with their nominees for deacon and elder, uh, and that uh, who they have 
um, uh, been led to ask to serve in that capacity. Um, and uh, we will send an email out tomorrow with uh, the names and the, the pic- pictures and the biographies of those nominees. And so you can see who they are before next Sunday. We're going to send that out in an email again to our, our wide distribution for our congregation. And if you don't receive that, then please contact the church office and we'll send that to you um, uh, as soon as possible uh, tomorrow, this week. But you'll see those folks. You'll join in. We'll be voting on those nominees next Sunday at our congregational meeting. Please do come back uh, tonight at 6 p.m. for our evening worship service uh, from here in the sanctuary. And that will be, of course, our our contemporary evening worship service. And then uh, again next week, that will be also uh, in person as well with all the same procedures as our morning service. Friends, those are all of our announcements. Now, let us prepare our hearts and our minds to worship Almighty God. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Please join me in our call to worship. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. My salvation comes from the Lord. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from the Lord. God alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge, is in God. Trust the Lord at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is refuge for us. God is merciful and just. God is full of grace and truth. Let us tell the truth about ourselves as we confess our need for God's grace. Let us pray. Lord, have mercy upon us. We confess that we are often not strong enough to resist sin. We succumb to unrighteous anger, self-centered pride, and wrong-minded intentions. Our anger is ignoble. Our pride is misplaced. Our intentions are selfish. Please forgive us, we humbly pray. In your mercy, show us how to live like Christ and help us to be the disciples you call us to be. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God's goodness knows no bounds. God's mercy is rich and deep. In the name of Jesus Christ and by his obedience, I declare to you that we are forgiven in his name. Amen.
The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and also with you. Please remember everyone in our church family. Pray for them and extend your love to them on this day. Please call your friends in Christ and check on them and their well-being. Please now bow your heads for our prayer for illumination. Almighty God, by your Holy Spirit, illumine the sacred page, we pray, that our minds may be open to receive your word, our hearts taught to love it, and our wills strengthened to obey it. This we pray through the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our first scripture reading comes from the Old Testament book of Jonah, chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he had a proclamation made in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, no human being or animal, no herd or flock shall taste anything. They shall not feed, nor shall they drink water. Human beings and animals shall be covered with sackcloth. And they shall cry mightily to God. All shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hearts. Who knows? God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them And he did not do it. Amen. Our New Testament lesson comes from the Gospel of Mark. We read at the beginning of Mark the story of Jesus walking along the seashore and calling his uh, first disciples. Hear now the word of God. After John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. 
As he went on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boats mending their nets. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Had the pleasure of knowing briefly a great Methodist preacher named Ellsworth Callis, who had several churches uh, around this area and in Kentucky over the years, and he uh, died just a few years ago. And he had this incredibly unique way of approaching scripture lessons. It always stayed with me. He looked at Bible stories from what he called the backside. So he wrote a book, actually a collection of sermons called Parables from the Backside. He also had Beatitudes from the backside. Another look at Christmas, another look at Easter, all from what he called the backside. Now what he meant by the backside was reading a story from a very different angle, from a unique perspective, looking at it from, from some way we don't often look at that story, finding its meaning in some different crook, different angle, different way, different perspective that would bring even more light onto what that passage means. And so I want to do that this morning with this New Testament lesson, this great, great story of Jesus calling his first disciples. There is a backside angle to it. And the backside angle that I see this morning is, what if, what if one of them had said no? What if they were they're mending their nets, and they were in the boats, and they were there. And one of those disciples said, Nah, I don't think so. Now, they didn't do that, of course. They dropped everything and followed Jesus. And, and we know from the rest of the New Testament that their lives were never the same again. We know that what follows in the book of Acts, of course, is that they experienced the most incredible life, the most rewarding life possible as a follower of Jesus. And most sermons on this text are about just that, about the urgency of saying yes and the prioritizing of life and dropping everything else in order to follow Jesus and what that means in the long run. And maybe we'll come back to that and sort of come full circle at the end of this sermon in a few minutes. But for now, let's just say that Andrew had said no. He didn't follow, and what a few reasons might be for why he might say no, or why you might say no, or why somebody might say no. Why would you not follow Jesus? Well, look at this text, and there's some hints in this text even to larger themes of the New Testament. One reason is alluded to at the beginning of this passage with what happened to John the Baptist. The reading started, if you saw that, it started by saying, after John was arrested. Now, of course, we know there was something dangerous for John by being a prophet of God, called into that role that he would play in God's kingdom in that particular time as a forerunner of Jesus. From the beginning of Jesus' ministry then, in the Gospel of Mark, there is this element of danger that is introduced and so surrounding Jesus from the very beginning with John and then through the gospel is this understanding that he will be in the middle of conflict. He's going to be in the middle of danger throughout this whole ministry. 
And we're going to see that the same is true for some of his followers, of course. Now, let me ask you this question, and it's a rhetorical question. You can answer it. You'll probably answer it in the very same way that I answer it. You like safety, don't you? I mean, we like our security. We like safety. We like being safe in every single place we could possibly be. But here is the reality about being a follower of Jesus, that following Christ is going to put us at some point or another in a place of discomfort, maybe a place of conflict, maybe even a place where you are threatened. It's going to happen if we are faithful. I've been following, as you know, I've mentioned them before, following a group of women in Cuba who dress in white every Sunday, and they walk through the streets of Havana and other Cuban cities to protest what the Cuban government has done to their husbands and to their sons. They're known as the ladies in white, and they protest the brutalities of the Castro regime that jails them and tortures all political dissidents, some never to be heard from again. So these women put themselves in a place of conflict and danger each week as a matter of justice. John the Baptist was arrested because he called out the local ruler whose name was Herod because Herod was in an incestuous relationship in his life with his wife. And John said, that's not right. It wounded Herod's pride to be called out publicly to make him look bad in front of other people. So he had John arrested. Jesus challenges, Jesus challenges leaders and religious leaders of his day, which no doubt, and we know it put him at odds with those Pharisees, for example, those Sadducees, those Roman leaders to whom he was a threat. He was always a threat to their hold on power. And all leaders want to hold on to power no matter what. So that put Jesus in the edge there in a place of conflict. We know the same happened for his followers. A few years later than this story, Peter discovers this for himself in Acts 12. We read how Herod then goes on this mad rampage, this, this, this distorted rampage against the church. And he had John killed. He has others arrested. He arrests Peter in order to make an example and a spectacle of Peter. So Jesus' followers, we will, his followers, find ourselves, they will find themselves at various points in their lives in some kind of conflict, maybe even danger, on account of their discipleship. Want a reason to say no to following Christ? Maybe that's it for you. But this is where it may be for you, because it's important, it's related to the first. Here's the main reality for Christ's followers. They do not respond to conflict in the same way that the rest of the world does. This instinctual human response to conflict is to fight and to go to battle and to respond to violence with more violence, to fight to the death, to go down swinging, taking out whoever you can with you. The world says get revenge. The world says Get angry and fight and hurt others if necessary for the cause. Embarrass them, call them out and humiliate them with your actions, with your words, online, whatever it may be. But Jesus' followers can't do any of that if they're going to be faithful to their Lord. 
If they're going to be faithful to this Lord they follow, faithful His commandments. If they are to be faithful, they won't do any of that. They will follow His example and His teachings. Like, love your enemy. Do good and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus said, not only should you resist someone who hits you on one side of the cheek, if someone strikes you violently on one side of your face, you show how loyal to Jesus you are by getting up and then turning the other side of your face to them because you say you would rather be hit again on the other cheek than to resort to resisting someone with violence. Jesus said, do not seek revenge. Romans says, do good to those who hurt you. Jesus not only didn't resist going to Golgotha when his enemies were being violent toward him, he carried his own cross on the way there. Jesus' disciples carry the cross of nonviolence, even when they are persecuted, even when they are oppressed, even when they are wronged, whether for their faith or politically, or in business, or in society. Jesus' followers do not use violent speech or physical violence as a means to get what they want. If they do, they are clearly disobeying their Lord. Nobody overlooks violence or excuses it or rationalizes it away if they are a Christian. Why not follow Jesus? Because you have to live by the law of love and nonviolence in your speech and in your actions, and that totally contradicts the ways of the world. Why not follow Jesus? Look at this reading. You'll see that there may be some major disappointments for the followers of Jesus within your family. What in the world was Zebedee experiencing as James and John left him in the boat to go follow Jesus with the hired men, not his family. These two brothers have grown up under their dad's watchful eye. They've worked together. He's been grooming them for the family business. And it was usually the father's role to train sons in their Jewish faith, handing down traditions to them, learning about their ancestors, teaching about the Torah, growing up to be a faithful Jew. And then they drop everything to follow this new teacher, I mean, we think he's one of us, but we're not quite sure. He's different. Why would they cause their father such pain by leaving him to follow Jesus? Religion and faith differences in families, they're often a source of disappointment, often a source of conflict, and we're seeing it more and more now among different generations. Children don't have the same beliefs as their parents. Last year, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about what happens when adult children go home for the holidays. They were raised in the church, raised in the church, going to Sunday school and church on Sundays, but now Sundays are for other things like sleeping or getting over a hangover or going out to eat or exercising or for some working because that's one more day to get ahead while everybody else is sleeping or doing all those other things. Some family members want to go to church on the holidays because it's essential to their identity to worship God. And other families are like, eh, I think we'll make dinner instead. 
Some children, this is interesting, we're seeing this more and more also, some children become followers of Christ much to their parents' dismay if they grew up outside of Christian faith or even in another religion. Damon Richardson grew up in Queens in a family that was part of the nation of Islam, and over time as an adult, his foundation in that system began to crack. And he writes about what it was like to convert to Christianity after such a different worldview in a different faith. Why not follow Jesus? Because it will cause you sometimes to have to choose between your family and your faith. Do you ever stop loving your family? No, never. Do you ever stop praying for them? No, never. Do you ever keep, do you stop bending over backwards to help and provide for them? Probably not. You do that as much as you can. But do you believe deep down that the truth on which you have staked your life is true, even if they don't? Yes. And at some point, there may be disappointment, maybe even conflict over that truth, but you hold to your truths and you keep on loving them and praying for them all the time. And then there's another big one, the final one. There's more, but this is a big one. Another area in this reading that might be a strong disincentive for following Christ for a lot of people. A loss of income. At least an enormous change in how you view your income. An enormous change in how you view your assets, maybe your net worth. All of it as a result of your discipleship. Look at what's going on for these fishermen in this reading here. They're making a living supporting themselves, being relatively self-sufficient only to become dependent upon the generosity of other followers to support them as they traveled with Jesus. They go from being self-sufficient to being dependent on others' financial kindness. In Luke 8, we read about how a group of women were healed by Jesus, and they become followers, and then they become the primary financial supporters of Jesus and the 12 apostles during Jesus's ministry. If you want a reason not to follow Jesus, because so many followers experience a loss of income when they realize that what they're doing as a line of work does not mesh well with following Christ. Because there are so many jobs, so much work where you'll be asked to do something that you know isn't right, something unethical, something that just goes against your Christian conscience in order to succeed. If you're in sales, there'll always be some way to increase your sales through some means. Maybe it's kickbacks. Maybe it's insider information by which you can undercut a competitor. It may not even be wrong, but it's unethical. Maybe you have a way to undermine a coworker to make yourself look better. There's always some rule to skirt, some corner to cut. There could be some law to break that you rationalize that shouldn't really even be a regulation anyway. There's always someone's favor to gain. And you sometimes might have to choose between doing that and getting promoted and making more money or following Christ. So many people that I talk to get into a line of work because the money is so good. The money is good, and they are good at it. And then they wake up 10 to 15 years later, and they just can't figure out why they're so unhappy. They feel spiritually bankrupt. 
And the only way they discovered, the only way out of that spiritual bankruptcy, the only way to a meaningful life is to truly now become a disciple of Jesus. A real, not in name only, but a real disciple. But what to do about their work? How do they leave that lucrative income behind? Some of the happiest people in the world are those who left high-flying, high-paying jobs to go into nonprofit work or ministries or helping agencies. But nonprofits are called nonprofits for a reason, because there is no profit and there's not much money to be made. But they are very happy. Along the way, they discover who they really are and who God wants them to be and how God wants to use them. But in a world that values money and status, they're often looked upon as so unimportant or even not noticed at all. And even if you're in for-profit work, and by the way, business and profits and shareholder value, those are very, very good things, essential to a good economy. And even if your assets are abundant, you will still have a much different approach to those things, all of those things, and how you use them if you become a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you know this. You will be challenged all the time by Christ in your conscience to be a wise and generous steward of all that God has given you. You'll hear Jesus talk about this all throughout the Gospels. Talk about how hard it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not because Jesus doesn't love rich people, not because he dislikes them, no, but not because of them, but because of what they have. And how distracting it is to real discipleship. How distracting it can truly, truly be. And it is. He, he knows this for you. But then again, but then again, look at the alternatives. Look at the alternatives that you have before you. Look at the way in which Jesus blesses those who follow him with true discipleship who follow him in ways that they could never imagine before because they could never imagine themselves living a different kind of life. Look at how Jesus admires people who give away everything they have if everything they have is a distraction for their discipleship. So why not follow Jesus? Because you'll have to be reformed in how you view and how you use money. And all material things. And who wants that in this world? Who wants that in this world that says you should get as much as you can and use it in all ways to give you as much pleasure and luxury as possible? Who wants the obligation to be financially accountable to God? The Bible says that the earth and all that is in it belongs to the Lord and that we are just temporary holders of whatever God has entrusted to us, whatever talents we have. It's not ultimately ours. And we are charged to use our blessings to make others' lives better. Why not follow? Maybe for that reason right there. And there are many others, of course. There are other reasons not to follow God. If you want to look inside this story and you want to look at faith and other things in the Bible, if you want to look at them through the backside, you'll find all kinds of reasons not to follow Jesus. But then again, with that backside mentality, wouldn't you miss seeing the most beautiful and the most important things 
about faith and about discipleship. People forever think of reasons not to follow, not to embrace God, not to live by love, not to worship, not to forgive, to be creative, not to sacrifice and serve consciously or unconsciously. People always have these backside mentality reasons not to live like Christ and attach their lives to His. But then with that approach, they miss out. They miss out on the life of purpose and meaning. They miss out on that life and purpose and meaning that could be theirs, it could be yours. Why not follow? Because you will miss the small details, the small ways in which God will enrich your life every single day. You will miss out on all the ways that God is making your relationships better and stronger. You will miss out on all the ways in which what it means to live in a body of Christ and in in a family of faith in not only the small ways week to week, but when you face your crisis, your crisis of health, when you face your crisis of life, to be surrounded by the body of Christ will make you walk through that valley of the shadow of death and get to the other side like nothing else in this world can. Why would you miss out on that? Why not live as a follower of Christ? Because you will miss miss the kind of forgiveness that will heal you in ways beyond the physical. Your life will be made whole again. You will miss living life in this world in a way that when it's over, you can look back on it and be satisfied that it was totally worth it. Even if you have to devalue money in order to see how worthy God is, it is worth it. If you have to face down conflicts or danger with nonviolence and love, it is totally worth it. And when this life is over, you will miss out if you choose not to live now as a follower. You will miss out on the most wonderful and glorious and beautiful eternity that God wants you to have. Why not be a follower with so much daily goodness and love and eternity at stake. Amen. My brothers and sisters in Christ, we have been blessed to hear God's word read and proclaimed to us. So I invite you now to proclaim, to affirm your faith by using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
And now we are blessed to come together and to offer prayers, our prayers of intercession for the world, for each other, for our community, and for those that are near and dear to us. And so as we come to God with our prayers, I will invite you to respond wherever you are. When I say, Lord, in your mercy, you may respond, hear our prayers. And I will leave space within these prayers of silence so that you have time to name those that are near and dear to you and to our community of faith. So let us now turn to God in prayer. God of all goodness, we praise you that in Jesus Christ your kingdom has drawn near and is present even now in our midst. Help us to live as if it were so and bear witness to its presence among us. And hear us now as we bring to you our prayers of intercession. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the world of nations and all leaders of nations, all leaders of states and legislatures, communities, businesses, schools, and churches. May each one seek your justice and peace, we pray, your compassion and mercy for all people. We pray especially for the new administration of our country. Bless each one as they begin to lead us forward with the hope of unity and peace. We pray for your church in all its forms called into being by you. May the church and its people be for you, almighty God, love for all the world. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for the global community that continues to suffer under this raging pandemic. We pray that you would grant strength and endurance to medical personnel who so diligently care for those who are desperately ill, who hold the hands of those whose family members cannot be present, and who continue to ask us common folk to pay attention, to heed the warnings, and do all we can to flatten the curve of the pandemic in order to save lives. We thank you that vaccines are here for so many and coming for the rest of us. Help us to hang on to your hope and your healing power so that one day we can be reunited with our loved ones. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those enduring snow and ice storms across this land those enduring the cold and in dire need of warm shelter, warm meals, and fresh water. Embrace and bless each one with your calm and your comfort and send them relief. We pray for those who are born today and those who will die today and for their families. May your loving presence be known to each one. We pray for those who are ill, grieving, suffering. May they feel your holy presence, your love, and your comfort. We particularly pray for those who are near and dear to our hearts and to our community of faith. 
So we use this space of silence to name them before you. God of healing mercies, bless those that we've named and those that remain in our hearts and are known to you. Bless them with all that they need for this day. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of wisdom, enable us to be humble and kind in all things. Help us discover our common humanity And in our common humanity, show us the way you would have us to bind the wounds of the wounded, to befriend the lonely, the least, and the left out, to share our abundance with those in need, to do justly to the oppressed, to acknowledge sin, seek forgiveness, and grasp reconciliation. Remind us today We know only in part, and that even now, faith, hope, and love abide, and the greatest of these is love. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord Christ, hear us now as we join our many voices into one voice and pray the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy will be done, thy kingdom come, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Friends, all that we have and all that we are are gifts to us from Almighty God. And so I invite you to go and find the giving tab on the church website. And there you can find multiple ways that you can participate in this body of Christ and participate in our mission as we give to our local missions and our um, global missions. And we continue to do the work of God's mission here at GPC. I invite you to give with great joy and with generosity.
Let us turn to God in prayer. Gracious God, we offer our gifts and our very lives to you that they may be sanctified and dedicated to ministries of reconciliation and justice in our church, our nation, and our world. Receive these gifts as a sign of our commitment to follow Jesus as his disciples wherever he leads us to go. In his holy name we pray, and together we say, Amen. Dear friends, go now out into this world to love and serve the Lord. Go out to love and serve your neighbor as yourself, knowing that Christ calls you.
Christ calls you to follow him and to live as a disciple all the days of your life. As you go, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.